you don't even need to know how to take a photo. You don't need to know how to use Photoshop. You can just say what you want and it will do it for you. And eventually it will create a storyboard for you. Eventually it'll become a costume designer for you. Eventually it will just direct and make this movie for you. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that point where all you need is an idea. And if the idea is good, you can bring it to life. The world of artificial intelligence is nothing new, but like with all great innovations, at some point they jump from just a cool idea to widespread consumer adoption. And that's exactly what's happening with AI right now. Over the last decade, we've seen subtle advancements in AI, including speech recognition, like people playing chess against humans and even self-driving cars. If you've ever used Siri, Amazon Echo, or Google Assistant, then you have some experience with AI too. But now, new tools are coming out seemingly every week that are helping us reimagine what is possible, especially in the creative realms of music, writing, photography, art and design, video, social media, and more. Which begs the question, where are today's best opportunities in AI and where are the soon-to-be huge breakthroughs of tomorrow? To help me explore this topic, I'm joined by Amit Gupta, co-founder of Pseudowrite, an AI writing tool. Amit is on the ground level of the evolution of AI and an incredible resource for understanding all the ways that it might be able to benefit your life. As a venture capitalist, founder, and mom who loves anything that makes life easier and more creative, I was so excited to have this conversation. I hope you all enjoy. Hello, Amit. It's been so long. It's so nice to have you here today. It's great to see you, Britt. I'm really excited about this episode because I think that AI is something people are hearing about more and more. It's become, I think, the talk of properties like Twitter <laughs> used to be about NFTs, and now it's like all about AI and generative AI, yeah. and it's what yeah. everyone here in Silicon Valley is obsessing over, of course, too. And I think for the average person, they really don't understand what's happening and why this is going to be impactful especially in a positive way. I think people have seen the movie like her and they mm-hmm. think that like we're all going to get taken over by artificial intelligence. So I'm excited to have you here to explain what's going on to our audience and also to talk about what you're up to with PseudoWrite and how creativity in general can actually be super powered by AI and, and it can be seen as maybe a positive thing, but we'll go through all of that. So before we get into the future of, of this new category, can you take me back to your first experience with artificial intelligence? What intrigued you and what did you think when you first had that initial interaction? Yeah, totally. So I sold my last startup in 2014 and started writing fiction. And so my first experience was kind of like the modern wave of AI was I think a couple of years ago when GPT-3 first came out. So OpenAI released this big model, kind of revolutionary because it was so much bigger and just the leaps and bounds beyond anything that had been done before. And I started playing around with it with my co-founder. He's actually the first one to kind of play with it. And we were playing with it as a writing tool, which is kind of unique. It wasn't really built for that. And what we were finding was that it could actually write. And that was like astonishing. Like it couldn't like write a whole book. Yeah, it couldn't write a short story even, but like we could 
write something and ask it what came next. And it was writing cohesive stuff that made sense in our voice, following like the narrative arc, the plot arc. Uh, it just felt otherworldly. And you know, it like streams it in like line by line. So it feels like this ghost is kind of like writing what comes next. And um, it's still kind of mind boggling that that's possible. So explain GPT-3 for anyone who's like, what did you just say? That sounds like <laughs> totally foreign language to me. Yeah, totally. So GPT-3 is this uh, text transformer model. And basically what well, all, all you need to know is that it looked at the entire internet it looked at lots and lots of books. It had all these sources for its training. And what it learned to do was take some text and predict what text would come after. So for instance, if I told you like, give me a list of US capitals, colon, one, you would probably fill in number one, number two, number three. Or if I said like, give me a list of 10 US capitals, you would understand, oh, I'm supposed to come up with 10 US capitals. So that's kind of what it does. It's like looking at the words and predicting what words come after. I think it's it's like a, an iteration on what people think of Google. There's a text box and you can type kind of anything into it and then mm -hmm. it gives you something back. But instead of Google, which crawls the whole web and gives you search results, it's giving you answers to yeah. maybe what you're asking it or ideas to what you're asking it. Is that a fair way to explain it? Totally. And I think we're using it in a more creative way. So there's usually no right answer to like what comes next in this story. So we're using it to come up with different ideas and kind of provocate the user. But I think, yeah, the, the intensive use case, use case is something like what Google does today, where when you ask it the weather in a zip code, it just tells you the weather. But GPT-3 can do that across like an infinite array of topics, not just the few that Google has selected. And it's doing that because it's being fed a bunch of this information, right? Sim again, similar to Google. Google has the information is it's crawling the whole internet of, of URLs and, you know, SEO links and things like that. Mm -hmm. what, what is artificial intelligence really doing and who's feeding it that information? Yeah, so uh, the company that made this is called OpenAI, and they took Common Crawl, which is like an open compendium of basically the entire internet, and so they fed it every web page, every blog post, every YouTube comment and Reddit comment, like everything horrible and wonderful about humanity that's expressed on the web, <laughs> this thing scary. has learned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the best and worst of us. Um, yeah, yeah, so it, that's how it learned. And, you know, read as much literature as it could and everything else. Um, and that's how it got started. I think from there, like they've continued to refine it. So they've done a lot of like safety testing, put in a lot of guardrails. They've um, kind of rated a lot of the output to kind of like soften any biases that they're seeing. So there's a lot of like fortification going on, but at a base level, it's kind of the average of all of us. So different from, you know, the movie Her or something, it's not like a, a robot it sort of is. I mean, it has like a brain, I guess, to some extent, but it's called GPT-3. Yeah. It's not like a, it's not like Sally or I forgot the name of the, the girl and her, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's getting smarter every day, right? Yeah, totally. And there's always this thing with computer scientists, like we never want to call every, anything AI. It's never AI. Even though, you know, we're using what we call AI, it's really just machine learning because it's not like a yeah. human. We don't expect it to respond like a human in even language, uh, let alone like, you know, music or any other field. Like each of these models is like a very, very, has a very, very narrow expertise. But yeah, it's not like her. It doesn't know. It's not a person. Not yet. But some people are using, some people are using artificial intelligence to create person, right? I, I, I've seen a lot of robotics companies start to use 
machine learning slash artificial intelligence to do things around the house, like cleaning, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. that's really annoying for most people. And they're training it how to clean and how to use like a, a camera to see like, oh, that's a dirty dish or, oh, there's something on the carpet I need to pick up. Um, I can't wait and learn how yeah. to pick that up. Um, that so awesome. that's exciting. <laughs> I think, I mean, until they like take over, you know, our lives, it's, it's, it's very Jetson style, like Rosa, the robot, you know, came to clean the house. Right. So, so there's that version of artificial intelligence. Um, there's this version, which you're talking about, which is like input text into a box and something comes back to you, whether it's information or creativity. Yeah. Um, is there, is that what other versions of like buckets can you think about that are happening today? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I think that that second bucket actually is like fractionalized into a lot of different stuff. Like I think um, even though the core interface is something like type something to a box, something else comes out. Um, it's almost like a programming environment and you can in human language describe the kinds of things you want it to do whether it's an answer or like taking some text and transforming it or like reading something and getting an answer out or whatever it is there's like a an infinite number of things this thing can do just because it understands quote-unquote language um, and so it's kind of interesting it's almost like this new occupation is emerging called prompt engineering and they're not programmers and they're not designers, but they're people who are like getting better at interacting with these large models to get them to do things we didn't even know they could do before. And I think that's it's going to be an explosion within this category. Like every startup that uses AI is going to need prompt engineers. And these prompt engineers are not computer scientists. Yeah. They're just really good at like working with these tools. Okay. I love prompt engineers. I think that's huge. And it's actually, speaking of engineering, it reminds me there's, um, I'll find the company, but I've been seeing some companies that are actually taking your text, um, to create code. So, mm-hmm. you know, say you're a person who doesn't know how to code and you really want to make an app and you yeah. say, I want my app to browse all the different types of fashionable jackets on the internet and, um, you know, filter based on this and let the user transact to purchase the jacket. And, and then it'll create that code for you. And I'm being obviously simplistic here, but the idea that for the last two decades, probably we've been telling everyone, get into computer science, learn to code, (laughs) become an engineer, STEM, everything. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, coding is going to be a relevant skill in the future? Or is AI going to take over a category like that? I think it's going to be an evolution. I think it goes back to why there's so much happening in this space right now, like why it's so exciting. And I think of it like, okay, if you go back like 40 years, the Mac arrives, right? And the Macintosh brings desktop publishing to everyone. And all of a sudden you don't need a newsroom or like a whole office staff to create a magazine or newspaper. You can actually do it with one person by themselves using these like magical new tools. And it brought this like this power of organizations and companies that was relegated just to them to like individuals, which is really, really cool. And that happened in like all these different spaces. It happened in music. You don't need a recording studio. Now you just need a mic and some free software. It happened with photography, it happened across the board. And so I think what you're seeing right now, just starting to begin is this very similar revolution where, um, you don't even need to know how to take a photo. You don't need to know how to use Photoshop. You can just say what you want and it will do it for you. And eventually it will create a storyboard for you. Eventually it'll become a costume designer for you. Eventually it will just direct and make this movie for you. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that point where all you need is an idea. And if the idea is good, you can bring it to life. So 
yeah, it's happening across all these creative fields. It will definitely happen with coding too, but that doesn't mean that people won't be involved in the process. It just means that they'll get better and better at using these tools to make their kind of imaginations come to life. Yeah, it feels like the skill set people need now, to your point, it's that initial idea or the prompting, right? Yeah. Um, and then you, and then from there, you, you sort of become more of the editor than the creator because exactly. you're getting all of these ideas back to you. Like I've been using um, I've been using this site called Astria lately. Have you used Astria? Mm -hmm. You, yeah, you yeah. add about 20 images of yourself from all different angles, full body, face, headshot, whatever. And it basically reverse 3D maps your face and body. Yeah. And so now I can type in, you know, Britt Morin as an astronaut eating a slice of pizza with yeah. a rainbow in the background. And I get 20 versions of what that could look like. And if I say illustrated or painted by George O'Keefe or photographed by Ansel Adams, it changes the version and I can pick my favorite and I can now make that my profile photo. I can use that in art and like, um, yeah. The implications are really cool, but I needed to know how to prompt that, how to curate that, how to edit down to the one that looks best um, and let the machine do the rest. So you're doing mm -hmm. something really interesting like this, but in the world of copywriting. Can you explain what PseudoWrite is and how that got started? Yeah, totally. So PseudoWrite's all about fiction writing, and we got started with it because both my co-founder and I had started tech companies, sold them, decided we wanted to do something else. And so we became creative writers. We were writing science fiction and we met in this writing group. And as it happens, we ended up starting a company together, which is what we set out not to do. But we just found that when, when these models start to merge, these much, much larger models, it became possible to create like a whole new class of software. And the way I think about it is my last company was in photography. So, um, most photographers haven't ever been in a darkroom at this point. And if they had been in one, they don't go in one regularly anymore. But there was a time when you had to like spend an hour getting film into this canister, developing it, then taking it to an enlarger and like printing it and then taking those prints from chemical bath to chemical bath to chemical bath. And then we got Photoshop and digital cameras and no one ever did that again. And I think we never got that moment with writing. Writing has basically just been like the typewriter or Microsoft Word, and that's it. Like we just never got anything else. We got spell check, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> and I think this is that moment, that like Photoshop moment for writing where you can finally apply effects to writing. You can get transformations, you can fill in the edges. There's all sorts of stuff that writers painstakingly do today. A lot of it is drudgery and a lot of that the machine will be able to help you with in the future, near future. Actually, a lot of it can, we can help you with today, but it's going to be more and more. So basically you're claiming never get writer's block again. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I don't think you get writer's block again. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We kill it. Well, and what's an example? Okay. So, so well, let's just walk through this. So I go yeah. to Sudorite and I say, um, there was a girl named Britt who lived in California. Mm -hmm. Is that all I need to write? And then it starts writing the next thing for me? Like, or do I need to give it more input or what, what do I do? Yeah, so it's similar to these other types of prompting mechanisms we've talked about. The more you give it, the better it's going to follow your guidance. So if you gave it that, it would continue that. But then if you gave it a little bit more, if you told them where, where this person was or described this person, described writ, uh, it would start going off that. And the more text you have, so if you've got like a narrative work, if you've got a husband or you have a kid to be or whatever, it's going to start working off of those things. And it will actually follow not just the events, but also your your writing voice. So it's going to make suggestions in your voice, which is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. And, and are, am I also 
connecting any other information into this or it's just the information I'm putting in right now. Like if it wants to know about this girl named Britt who happens to be a real person, even though I'm making a fictional story, could I feed it my Instagram channel mm, or my Twitter or something? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're playing with stuff like that. I think we're playing with a number of things like combining some of these uh, models that will generate images like Austria. So you can take mm. imagery and integrate it or have it describe the imagery or use those characters. Uh, we're mm. looking at things to help you like kind of create the narrative structure of your work. So you figure out the plot and then maybe you hate getting that first draft. So it will get the first draft, it'll write the first draft for you in a very rough mm. way. And then you go back and make it your own. Um, I think there's gonna be lots of different approaches because different people like to, to work in different ways. Um, we're kind of knocking down each of those one at a time. So hopefully you're just left with the stuff that you love to do and the stuff that really you know brings your creativity to it. Yeah, so like uh, in every type of fiction, whether it's a book or a, a movie, there's a character development, rising action, climax, falling mm -hmm. action. You know, I learned about this stuff back in school. Is, yeah. is Pseudorite taking that into account too? Question A. Question two, <laughs> A and two, A and B, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> B. question B, um, can, can you then extract it to like a screenplay? Like speaking of movies, like, or is it just yeah. for fictional writing of books or things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if there's a, if there's a narrative arc or you're using like, you know, the hero's journey or save the cat or rising falling action three X or whatever, it can, it can understand those things and it'll continue in those vein, uh, in that vein. And I think the tools we're building now are like to give you more control over how it does it. So like maybe it's following this structure, but you actually want to try and see what the story would look like with this other structure. And then it'll do that and you can look at it and compare and decide which elements you like best and integrate them. So I think there's a lot of power there. I think like, you know, when you look at a tool like Photoshop versus a tool like, you know, Instagram, where you can just apply these filters versus do like in a universe of things to your photos, we want to get to the point where you can like really use this as a professional to make it your own. Um, and I already forgot question number two slash B. Question <laughs> number two slash B was, yes, yeah, screenwriting versus oh, books. Yeah. Like, does it matter the type of right? Can I write poetry? Can I write a song? Like, mm -hmm. define fiction, I guess, in the yeah, pseudo right yeah, way. All, all of it. All of it. We have screenwriters using it today. I think that's going to be one of the most exciting places that people use it because screeners especially are like really time boxed with stuff. So they have to get something done. They can't hold up the process. So if something can help them write twice as fast, which is what some of our authors tell us, uh, that's a huge, huge hit for them. Um, and in terms of poetry, it does that today. There's, we have a little poetry tool. You give it just a topic or you give it a topic and a few lines and it'll continue that and you can take this poem and, and make can it. Can it come own. up with the rhymes for me? Because therefore I can make music, mm, right? Sometimes. It's it's <laughs> rhyming and comedy for some reason are very hard. It's really good at like uh. explaining jokes. You can use these models to like be like, why is this joke funny? And in very deadpan kind of like a dad manner, it'll like explain what the joke means. But it can't it, it's just really bad at coming up with it itself. I'm not sure why. Okay. Well you still have time to refine it, obviously. Um well I'm just yeah, I mean obviously if I can like if Brit the rapper emerges because of this new generation of AI. I don't think anyone yeah. should be surprised that I'm going to drop yeah. some rhymes, drop a beat. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of yeah. Um, music, I mean, music is another category, right? People are actually able to create voices mm -hmm. in AI um, for everything from podcast to narration to 
to music and singing. Is that right? And what kind of what kind of platforms have you seen that are doing this, or like or interesting experiences that people are having with sound? Yeah, there's 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 amazing stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, you've seen the stuff just in like even podcast editing apps where you can. Uh, you know, fix the words and it'll like say it in your voice if you said the wrong word or whatever. So there's stuff like that. Anything from stuff like that to like how in the new Top Gun movie, they uh, recreated uh, Val Kilmer's voice because he can't speak and they just created a digital version of him. And I think uh, I read that Bruce Willis like licensed his voice recently to like have it be digitized. Maybe his likeness too, I don't remember. Um, so I think there's like both the high end and low end. There's like the very nitty gritty stuff where you can just like fix mistakes and kind of copy and edit voice now. And then there's stuff where you can like whole cloth create narratives and create uh, dialogues with people's voices. I think it's going to open up a lot of like really interesting wormhole, like a Pandora's box of both opportunities and pitfalls. Uh, there's uh, the yeah. whole like disinformation side and there's the whole like, yeah, if I can't, if I'm like physically incapable of doing the thing I love and now this thing can do it for me, like that's, that's actually kind of wonderful. Right. Like if you couldn't speak again, if, or if you had, you know, some sort of accident or something, yeah. now your voice is forever remembered. And I, so, um, Joe Rogan recently did a podcast in AI with Steve Jobs, um, mm -hmm. who obviously is not alive anymore. Um, yeah. and I figured out kind of how he did it and the platform he used and talked to the founder and so interesting. Uh, the founder said, yeah, Brit, we could actually, you could do your whole podcast in AI. This one is not, this is the real Brit speaking. But will you <laughs> ever know that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I said, oh really? Like, well, what did, what would you need to make my voice? And yeah. he said, oh, three to four minutes of your audio. And yeah. so literally I could just send him the last episode of this podcast and it would create the Brit more in voice with the inflections, the tone, everything. It would even get kind of my mannerisms. And then basically I could just feed in text uh, of what I want to say or the questions I want to ask um, of anything, even old blog posts I wrote, my tweets, yeah. like, and it would create all of them in my voice. Yeah. And I could put that out on the internet and to your point, like magnify uh, how much content I'm outputting at any point in time. And so the implications for this to me as someone who does create content is is crazy but also, like, I wonder, do that? Well, the consumers know. Do I need to tell them? Do I need to put a warning label? And then vice yeah. versa, if I'm creating narrative voices of other characters, some of them might might be you. Like, I could put in the Amit voice, and we could have had this whole conversation in AI. Or I could put yeah. in like Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift and I. But and that's where it gets dicey, right? Like, obviously, I don't have Taylor Swift's permission to go do that, yeah. and. Um, yeah. If, if people are alive versus dead. And so um, what do you think are some of the negative ramifications of where this is all going next? Yeah, sure. So I think you illustrated some of them really well just now. I think when we do stuff without asking other people's permission or getting their license to do it, I think that's really dangerous. I think we still are figuring out the social contract around a lot of this stuff. It's not clear like if you know, these large image models are trained on illustrations and artwork by like so many artists. And some of them are quite upset because you can say, like, make me an illustration of a cat doing this thing in the style of so-and-so and it'll do it and it looks like so-and-so's work. And they didn't get paid for that. They didn't get any credit for that. Um, so that's, that's really sticky. And I think that we're not, uh, this stuff is moving so fast. So 
we're still talking about it and getting upset about it as we're figuring out how to use it. I think it'll probably start to shake out in the next year or so, like what, what the right norms are around this kind of stuff. Um, but the genie's definitely out of the bottle. And I think, you know, that's dangerous and also great. I think there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of like adjustment that needs to be made to figure out how to properly compensate people and credit people. Right. And especially with, with video of people speaking, right. Mm -hmm. Deep fakes is what people know this as, right. And how that impacts elections, um, you know, and, um, all kinds of conspiracy theories and, and everything else. So that gets really dangerous and there's, there's really no one regulating it right now. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting to look at kind of previous technologies and see how those have shaken out. And I think you could make the same argument for Photoshop, right? There's like Photoshop can make it look like anyone's doing anything. And these do, these images do constantly travel through the internet showing like Joe Biden doing something he didn't do or or Trump doing something he didn't do. Um, And that's kind of the reality we live in. And we sort of have to discover and, and accumulate this knowledge of discernment around what is real and what is not. And I think like reading critically is something that's taught in school today, like trying to understand different sources in the context of the sources. I think watching a video critically or looking at imagery critically or listening critically are going to be skills for the next century because those things are going to be just as hard to like get the truth out of. Right. Um, so, so definitely some ramifications there. I think the other ramification is um, a lot of jobs might become obsolete, right? So mm-hmm. if, if you were um, advising a 22-year-old finishing college yeah. or an 18-year-old or a teenager going into college soon, like what categories would you tell them to stray away from versus what to lean into besides prompt engineering? Because we've yeah. now coined that as the, as the category <laughs> of the future. <laughs> yeah. I think there's so many interesting things to talk about in this space. I think like um, there's definitely what would you teach, tell a 20-year-old or even like a teen to do? And there's also what would you tell like someone who's in the field today to how would they survive? Um, yeah. And I think there's there's different answers to each of those, but I think all of them kind of go back go back to like embrace what's happening, embrace the change, and figure out how to take advantage of it yourself. Um, I think that you know a lot of the technological changes that came in the past created new opportunities. So like s- streaming didn't used to be a job; it's a job now. Creator didn't used to be a job; it's a job now. Social media manager didn't used to be a job; it's a job now. Uh, con- conversion designer and Google ad copywriter didn't used to be jobs, but now they're like, they're a lot of jobs. Um, so like it, every new wave introduces new things. And I think in this wave, um, like in the internet basically democratized information and AI is democratizing creativity and creative production. So I think the big win here is that you can do things and make things that you could never have made before all by yourself. If you were a celebrity 10, two years ago, you could, you could, hire somebody to do your own fashion line. You didn't need to know how to design clothes. You didn't need to know how to do anything. You just need to know what you liked and have an audience that was like interested in what you liked. And now with AI, you're going to be able to design your own costumes, figure out everything, find manufacturers and actually like make your own clothing line if you feel like it. Um, And that's the same thing across the board. Um, And I think the other new opportunities are things like, well, things that didn't exist. So like we were talking about the voice stuff and how you could like, use a trained voice model to like say whatever you wanted to say, but you could also create a version of yourself that like talks to your fans. So 
you know, maybe I want to ask Brit a question. Brit doesn't have time to answer everyone's questions, but the BritBot does, and BritBot knows everything Brit does and, and knows everything Brit knows, and now you've got a new way to interact with this person. Uh, or maybe it's just like a work version of Brit. So Brit's got a lot of time she devotes to email and Slack and text messages and stuff, but a lot of that time is probably like pretty boring stuff that you don't have to be doing yourself. It's just like you're the only one who has that like knowledge. And so now the BritBot can answer those questions for you and you can just like focus on the higher level stuff. So I mean, honestly, like, if you just told me that AI was going to reduce my email load by 50%, <laughs> I would be a fan. Um, it it's like my AI can answer half of my emails. And actually there's, um, so one of the sites I've been playing around with is called personal.ai. Um, mm-hmm. And you feed it, you do feed it all your social handles. You like, because of Britain Co., I have like hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of, posts that I've created in my voice. I've got videos. I've got all kinds of things about me. I've just fed it all the stuff and it's cre- it's literally creating my AI Brit mm-hmm. right now. It's awesome. Which has, for instance, you know, how many times have I ever told the story of how I started Britain Co.? Like yeah. a bajillion, right? How many yeah. times have I had to, I give a speech, I go on a podcast, I do whatever, I tell the story of like why I was inspired and blah, 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 blah. And like now I can just expedite that <laughs> and export it over to whoever's asking me. And um, and to your point, interact with fans, interact with keynote addresses. Who knows? Um, yeah. yeah. It's just it's a matter just like of the- like, do people know it's me or do I have to call it BritBot? <laughs> you know, and yeah. how transparent yeah. are we all going to be in this yeah. new world about our AI selves? Yeah. I mean, I think that by default, we should be transparent. Like we should tell people this is BritBot. And I think that as a society, we'll figure out like what we, where we think we should be on that spectrum. But my instinct would be like, there's no, if it's a good BritBot, if it's doing its job well, we should just tell everyone that it's doing its job well. And, you know, you should oversee it just like you would oversee anyone working for you. Um, But it's also not only public figures. Like if I am an author and I write a series of books, um, maybe I'll want bots that are created out of all my characters. Maybe I wanted to create a, a narrative world that my fans can inhabit and just like work in and, and play in all the time. I don't have to write more material. It just exists because of what I already wrote. Um, so there's all sorts of like really interesting opportunities that open up. We're like kind of in stage one where we're like, oh, we can talk just like us or I can take a photo just like us. Stage two is like, oh, we can do all these new things that weren't even possible before using stuff that I like came up with. Uh, I don't know what stage three is. It'll probably blow our minds. I just think like the amount, the sheer amount of content, because it can be created so fluidly and rapidly and there's so many variations of it. Like I think we're already so overwhelmed by how much content we're seeing every day. And even like Netflix is like buying more content than ever because people can't keep up. They're just streaming, streaming, streaming. Um, I think we're going to get even more overwhelmed by how much is coming at us from all of this stuff. And we're going to then need more curation filters, which maybe is an AI opportunity in itself to personalize that content to me. Like I should know which books exactly to read based on like, you know, it really understands who I am as a character and the stuff I like. And um, we're all going to be reading and watching even more different things than currently we currently are, which is already so fragmented, right? Um but at the same time, I mean, I just, I think of my eight-year-old son who um, wants to write his own book. Um, he wants yeah. it to be called If I Built a Pool. There's a book series called like If I Built a House, If I Built a School. He wants to do If I Built a Pool, like a swimming pool. Yeah. And I'm telling him like, okay, the first step is you have to envision like what does the pool do and how, like who's the character that's building the pool. And again, I'm talking him through this 
And he's like, but then how do I like draw the pictures? And how cool to think about a tool like yeah. Pseudorite that yeah. can be paired with like an illustration engine that mm-hmm. can create Ansel that it goes into this storyline and he's yeah. building a pool and he's using his creativity and his prompts. And now eight-year-olds are publishing kids' books for each other. Yeah. You know, like yeah. how cool yeah, that kids fantastic. kids publish for kids. And maybe that opens up a new opportunity for a new type of publishing house and you know, sales channels. And it, it just it just keeps spinning and spinning. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even yeah. wrap my mind around this. But um but, by the way, we launched that feature today. So in Kusuda right <gasps> now, you can click a button and it'll create the image and embed it. And so you should tell Ansel to use it. Can we okay, Ansel's gonna use this. We're gonna make Ansel's <laughs> first book. Can I can I then press a button to have this like manufactured into a physical book? Not yet, but I think that's a <laughs> that's an easy next step. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean and you talked about fashion, which I love too, because that I've been playing I've been playing with some apps in the fashion realm. Like I have every I think all of us have ideas in our head of like oh, I would love like a jacket that I keep using a jacket. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> that had like rainbow buttons down the front and was like a cool checkerboard pattern. Yeah. And, but how am I ever going to make that? I don't even know how to sketch fashion drawings, but now there are tools out there. Um, I was playing with one the other day called Kala, Kala, um, C-A-L-A. Interesting. Oh, C-A.L-A is the website. Yeah. And they even give you like blanks to start with. So it's just the template um, of like a sweatshirt or a dress or a jacket or whatever. Mm, And then you just start dragging and dropping things around and it starts creating the design for you and sort of similar to pseudo, right? And then you press a button and he says, okay, what sizes do you want? (laughs) And it goes and gets the quote for how expensive that would be to manufacture. And if you want hundred versus one and you know, yeah. whatever. And then you get a sample and then it man it can, they can also manufacture for you. And like wow. now all of a sudden I'm a fashion designer. I just started mm-hmm. my own clothing brand. I built a shop on Shopify and yeah. I'm selling all my, my custom gear and I never so needed cool. to go to fashion school. So I'm just blown away again by the production opportunity, um, and the ability to to now master some of these creative fields that I've always been interested in, but have never had time to fully explore, like writing a novel or making a fashion line. Um, yeah, it's wild though. It's going to break industries, uh, and the world just has to be ready for it. Would you agree with me that this category is growing faster than almost any category right now in the tech yeah definitely sphere, especially especially just in the, in this year? I feel like so much has happened. It just it's so hard to keep up with. Yeah. So if you were a general consumer, like what advice would you give yourself to, to just get started playing around and what, what tools would you use to play around other than your own, of course? Yeah. Well, obviously, yes, go to sudorite.com and use it. Um, I think there's a number of newsletters that I follow that like kind of have great, um, do a great job calling every day the new stuff that's coming out, the new tools that are coming out. Uh, one that I tell people about is called Ben's Bytes. Uh, but there's a ton of these. You can just like Google AI newsletter and you'll find like a dozen of them. Um, but I think that's a cool way because it's not it's not like the tool that I would recommend today that someone listening to this podcast a month from now should be using. It's whatever just came out like yesterday. So there's um, there's tools for everything. And the advice is just like use this stuff. Like um, I think it was Kevin Kelly that said that in the future, people are going to get paid based on how well they work with robots. And I think it's so true. Like in the future, all creative endeavor is going to be a collaboration with some sort of software and an AI. And the sooner you get started, the better you're going to be at it. Uh, the people who are going to be really good are the people like Ansel, who are like growing up native with these types of tools. Mm. Um, but yeah, the sooner the better. 
Yeah, the sooner the better. I would also advocate for um, what we talked about. Personal.ai is really interesting. Um, Austria, which um, is strmr.com. Um, you can play around with that. Um, yeah. I told you about Kala, C-A dot L-A. Any other fun sites? I guess GPT-3, Dolly. Um, yeah, GPT-3, Dolly, Stable Diffusion. Um, I think, let me think, what else? What about for music or sound? Again, for those, I feel like the tools are so new. Every day there's a new one. I feel like uh, you could look at Runway ML and I think um, YouTubing this stuff is interesting too because some of the stuff that's most interesting hasn't quite been productized yet, but there's YouTube videos that will show you like how to set it up step-by-step step and make it work on your computer. So I think some mm -hmm. of the most interesting stuff is just like being explained on YouTube and it's often like free to do, which is really cool. Yeah. Play.ht is the one that can take your voice and, again, with like four minutes of, of recording of your voice, uh, create an 85% uh, efficacy of what your voice actually is. Uh, so that one would be fun to play with, too. And, 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 and yeah, I love that you say it's all being built right now because, I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. It's like, guys, this is coming Fast, like faster yeah. than a lot of categories I've ever seen, including like crypto in like all these things that blew up over the last few years. Like this is fast and this is changing. This is changing industries. Uh, this is changing economic opportunity, careers, like creativity, consumption. It's just, it's impacting so many of us in so many different ways. So yeah. Um, I, I would really hope that everyone listening is at least digging in a little bit on their own because there could be a really great um, benefit for them, whether for their knowledge or their wealth or anything else. Do you agree? Totally. Yeah. I think there's tons of opportunity. And then if you're a regulator out there, <laughs> what, I don't know. What, what's your biggest hope? Like, how do you hope this gets regulated? Um, hmm. um I mean, I hope that the people who create the value get something for it. Like, I think it's it's fair for people who made an image that a model then got trained on and someone's asking for that artist's look to somehow get something out of that. How we figure out how to do that, how we make the licensing work, how we, like, do all that. I don't know how we're going to do it. Uh, and there's, like, there's good arguments on both sides because I think that you can take the look. I don't necessarily take this, but you can take the stance that, like... Um, if I'm writing something, it's because of like the hundred, two hundred, hundreds of books that I read growing up and I learned how to write from them and I'm like taking that language. Often like when I'm starting out, I'm just mimicking that stuff the same way the AI is mimicking it and learning from it. So you could say that oh, the AI is learning just like a human would learn. So it's not that they're using copyrighted material illegally because I didn't do that. I just read books and kind of learned from them. Um, so that's one argument. But yeah, I, I don't know how it should be regulated. I think it's going to have to be something that... Um, we put a lot of time and effort into. And the weird thing is that it's gonna be, the technology is gonna be so far beyond where we are today by the time what we have today is regulated. Yeah, I agree. And I think even, I mean, one of my predictions is also that any content um, or retail sites are going to have to have disclaimers over like which Netflix shows were AI created, which New York Times bestsellers were AI created, <laughs> yeah, I actually I, I like, disagree. I don't know. With will there be new category? You disagree? You think it's all yeah. going to be one jumble of stuff? Well, it's sort of like you know, if I if I'm a photographer and I submit a photo for an exhibition or something, and I used Photoshop to like dramatically edit it, uh, I'm not going to say like, oh, this is 
Photoshop made this photo. And every photo you see in every competition had Photoshop. Like everyone uses it. It's just like part of your workflow now. And I think AI will be the same way. AI is just going to be part of the workflow. The same way if I write a book and I use grammar check or spell check, I don't say like, oh, it's grammar check by Grammarly. Um, it's Do you just, think if you're Taylor Swift, um, I keep bringing her up because obviously I'm Swifty. <laughs> uh, okay, so... AI is going to create the lyrics. It knows my voice. Obviously, it's super well-trained. There's enough of me out there. And then it's going to produce the whole album. Um, and so I could drop I could drop a new album every week if I wanted to. Um, and I don't need to tell anybody that I didn't actually ever sing a lyric in a microphone. Here's the thing. I think that um, AI can absolutely do that for music and for writing and everything else. At some point, it'll be able to like write the whole, it can't write the whole novel today. Someday it'll be able to write a reasonably coherent novel. Um, and probably today can write a reasonably coherent song. Um, but I think, you know, stuff that computers create is like almost too perfect. It's too shiny. And I think once we're surrounded by this content that has that gleam to it, that like AI gleam to it, we're going to start thinking a little bit less of it unless it has that human kind of like wabi-sabi. And I think mm. you see this already on the web. Like if you see a blog post with like an Unsplash photo as the feature photo, Unsplash is this like, you know, uh, stock photography site. All the stock photos are free. They're very high quality. Uh, but when you see one, you know it's Unsplash because it's so like smooth and perfect. And so you're like, mm -hmm. oh, this, this article is not that good. Like someone just grabbed a free photo off on Splash. But like, if they took a crappy photo themselves or had, you know, a, a real photo, mm -hmm. then you kind of are like, oh, this is like, they put attention and time into this. This is worth reading. So I think the same will happen for all this creative, I all these creative projects. I disagree with you there. I'm going to disagree <laughs> because I'm going to just tell it, like, make it look imperfect or don't make the last part rhyme. <laughs> so it, yeah. well, it's then wabi that's still you. Yeah. So I think that's still you. Like, I think, I think you're absolutely right. You can use the tools. Uh, but like, if you just take whatever it spits out, it's not going to be good. But if you tell it, oh, like change this chord this way, or like make this a little bit rougher or like take this area and repeat it or whatever it is, like you can instruct it on how to make it imperfect. But as long as there's a human yeah. in the loop, I think that's adding a lot of value. Okay. Yeah. It goes back to sort of the human as editor, not creator, mm -hmm. like orig original creator and then mostly editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's Something just, it like levels that. up everyone. Everyone becomes an yeah. editor. Everyone goes one level above where they are today. Yeah. It's fascinating. Very cool. Um, Amit, thank you so much for joining us today. My mind is blown. I mean, I, I think we're going to have to like come back in like three months cause it's all going to be different <laughs> again. Like it's yeah. moving that fast. Um, but, um, any final tips that you would give to anyone who's sort of on the edge right now thinking about whether or not to experiment this is like bs that this is going to kill our world you know any final words before we depart yeah i think just be open-minded i think like you know you don't have to do anything you can continue doing the things that you're doing um at some point you're probably going to adopt these tools anyway that's my opinion but you may not agree with it um but i think be open-minded and try new things and don't try them out of a place of fear try them out of a place of kind of like curiosity um there's a lot of good that can come out of this. Yeah. And remember, to your point, just how many tools have been created over the last several decades that amplified our creative skills and our ability to produce and connect and, and so much mm -hmm. more. And the, there's good and bad that comes with all of it. So yeah, I'm Gupta. Thank you so much for being here today and everyone else. Uh, if you do create anything in AI, send it our way. Amit, where can they find you on the internet interwebs these days? Oh, AmitGupta.com. First name, last name.com. Perfect. And uh, you guys know me. I'm at Brit.
Thanks, everyone. And we'll chat with you next time. All right. I know what you're probably thinking. This is all science fiction. This is going to end up badly. We are going to end up destroying the world. The Her and Ex Machina movies will be our future of doom. They will destroy us. And that's just not true. However, I want to acknowledge that with any massive shift in technology that we've ever seen in the past, there was certainly an element of fear. You know, everyone is afraid of the internet when it first came out. We were like, oh my gosh, we're all connected. What is this going to mean? Everyone's afraid of social media, of smartphones, of crypto, you know, all of these things that were huge innovations uh, definitely had something to fear. I mean, there's certainly downsides to social media. We all know that. But what are the upsides? We have to understand that there are certainly positive aspects to all of these major technological innovations. And it's going to take time to figure out how to regulate and securitize the parts of it that are not so great for all of us. We've seen this happen with different industries before across technology, and we will certainly see it with AI. The things I'm most excited about are A, now people can be superhumans. Like you've, if you've always wanted to be a fashion designer or a singer or a novelist, now you can be. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter if you don't have the skills to draw or write. You're, maybe you can't sing a tune, <laughs> but you can now use technology to make yourself that superhuman creator you always wanted to be. Maybe more interesting to you. Now you can save time. We all know time is our scarcest resource. I think about time and productivity and optimization of my calendar literally every day. If I could save half of my day of answering emails, if I never had to do the photo shoot for the cover of my podcast ever again. <laughs> if I didn't have to tell the same backstory over and over again when I was meeting someone new. And if I certainly never had to clean my house anymore, I would save a lot of time that I could otherwise be using to interface with the people I really love, to work on myself, to be creative, to build things. And that sounds really awesome to me. Net-net, this is all progressing so rapidly faster than I've seen any category in tech in a long time. And I genuinely believe this is going to change the future uh, for all of us, no matter if we're participating or not. We have to get better at understanding the reality of what is AI or not when we're consumers. We also have to understand how to use these tools in smart and responsible ways as producers. But we all get to also have fun with it. I mean, I spent literally an hour yesterday on this Austria site making random pictures of me <laughs> that were seemingly illustrated by other people, famous artists. It's just so fun. And my husband did the same thing and we were sending each other AI pictures of each other back and forth. Uh, imagine if our family photo this year for Christmas was all done in AI. I don't know if I could group together different individuals just yet, but maybe that'll be a 2023 Christmas card. Um, it's just really interesting to think about how fun it can be. And at the end of the day, that's what I want you to come away with from today. Dig in, start tinkering, have fun, think up new creative prompts, brainstorm how this can change 
the industry that you're in or all different kinds of industries, think about the positive implications for the future as well as the negative. We know we'll get there. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your kids about it and get them all ready for this future that will inevitably exist. I can't wait to see what you think. I can't wait to see what you create. And I might just create a few things myself. So stay tuned to at Brit on social media and I'll let you know which fashion design or which song or which album or which book I come out with next. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If you liked this episode, I would love for you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your shows. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Brit on just about every social network, or you can follow the podcast at First In Line. Thank you.